Hello and welcome to the Gyrus Podcast, episode 6, recorded on the afternoon of Saturday the 21st of February 2015. You can probably tell once again I'm in my flat, my girlfriend's out and about this afternoon, so I can use the proper microphone, which is good. It's only been a few days since I last did one of these, so there's not really been much going on. But I have got a guest on this one. Not with me now, but recorded earlier in the week, and I'll play that in a little bit. But first, what have I been up to? Well, I've decided to buy a Nexus 4. A Nexus 4? Why do I want one of those when I've got a Nexus 5? Well, as I've spoken about before, I've had issues with the Nexus 5, and I only realized I had those issues after the 28 days, I think, that Carphone Warehouse, who I bought the phone off, that's their policy for a straight replacement. And so they said that they'd take it and it'd be two weeks minimum. And I was like, well, I can't be without a phone. Whereas now it dawned on me, I've only got about a week and a half until it's been a year since I bought it. So why don't I buy another phone and temporarily use that while they try and fix the Nexus 5 and maybe they'll fix it, maybe they'll replace it, who knows? So I looked around and I thought, "Mm, Nexus 5s are still a bit expensive and they're likely to, you know, if this thing drags on for a few months, then I might lose quite a lot of money when I come to sell it again. So I got a secondhand Nexus 4 off eBay and it was described as being in very good condition. Well, let me tell you, it was not in very good condition. It's clearly been dropped. I think that he might have even smashed the screen and replaced it because one of the screws in the bottom was missing. Uh, well, it had been replaced by a Phillips head screw rather than a Torx screw. And it was just, it, the, the cover wasn't back on properly. It clearly had been doing something inside it. And so I've demanded a refund. We'll see how that goes. And so I, I needed a phone. So then I had to go to East London yesterday and get another one, another Nexus 4. Uh, this time I paid a little bit less for it, only 75 quid cash. But again, it was missing the two screws in the bottom, and I just thought, I can't I can't go on. I've just opened it up now, and it seems to be all fine inside. And I've reflashed it, and I'm going to, uh, once I finish this, transform my data over and start using it, and hopefully it'll be all right. But it made me realize how many Nexus devices I've owned. Keen listeners of mine who've traveled with me from the MindTech, which was the first podcast I ever did, will know that I've had a lot of Nexus devices. And that got me thinking as well. Is anyone listening to this who's followed me all the way from MindTech through um, Mintcast and Luddites to this? I'd be very interested to hear if you uh, have done that. But anyway, I had a Nexus 7 kind of, well, musical Nexus 7s, I suppose. I bought one from America off a friend, and it took, I think, two or three months to arrive. And so I bought another one in the meantime. And so then I had two. And then I sold one and bought, uh, the 2013 model, and then I had a couple of those at one point, and I've, I, I've lost count of the number of Nexus devices. I've now got three Nexus phones in my possession, and also my girlfriend's got my old Nexus 4, so it's all a bit crazy, really. But we'll see how uh, that goes, and not that it's particularly interesting, but I'll update you on that anyway. And I've got some feedback regarding the my audio issues later. But um, I don't really need to intro this, because I introed it when I recorded it. So have a listen to this. On episode two of the show, I talked about how I'd been arguing on the internet about the Charlie Hebdo business with the cartoons and the attack on their offices. And almost everyone who got back to me about it, who wrote in, and it was only a handful of people, 
they were all positive except for one person. And that was a person called Donald, who I have had a bit of a back and forth with and have now invited onto the show. So welcome, Donald. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. So what exactly did I say that you disagreed with? It's hard to sum up in one sentence. It was basically the general tone of your argument of um, giving in to terrorism. Um, (laughs) Can you just clarify exactly why you you think it was wrong for them to have drawn the cartoons? And then, you know, we can see where that sort of train of thought comes from. Okay, well, the basic gist of what I was getting at was that the cartoons were not very good. They did not have much artistic merit in them. And they were drawn and published to troll Muslims to get a reaction out of Muslims. It wasn't about trying to educate anyone. It wasn't about trying to really even make a point other than let's annoy as many Muslims as we possibly can, almost wishing for a reaction, which they then got and then were very upset about. And my thesis is essentially that I don't want to go as far as to say they deserved it because nobody deserves to be shot, but they certainly deserved a reaction and that reaction should have been something much more peaceful, like a peaceful protest or a boycott of the magazine and people refusing to buy it. But they had to expect a reaction. And for them to to act surprised when their offices were shot up by uh, a group of militant Islamist terrorists, for want of a better word, I, I, I can't see that that was a surprise. And essentially what I was trying to say was that it's not a very nice thing to just troll people and just because you should have the right to do it. And I never said that they should not have the right to do it, but I said that they should have not done it. They should have chosen themselves to not do it because it's not a very nice thing to do. Like it's not a very nice thing to go up and call someone fat. If they're a fat person, politeness says that you don't do it. And Muslims don't like the idea of the prophet Muhammad being drawn and being depicted. So it's not a very nice thing to do that. And that was essentially my argument. I can't really disagree with some of what you're saying. You're, you're pretty much saying that with freedom of speech comes responsibility. Yeah. Which, you know, I can't disagree with, but when, when it comes to things as important to the world as uh, religion and politics and ideologies and, consciousness and whatever people need especially journalists satirists with a magazine of a circulation of what 50 to 60,000 before this whole thing kicked off and that was even after they got firebombed you know five or six years ago for originally insulting religion yeah that was another point they didn't learn their lesson they insulted islam by doing the same thing, more or less, got firebombed and didn't learn the lesson, didn't stop trolling. Well, you're basically advocating terrorism by saying they didn't learn their lesson by getting firebombed. You're, you're, you're saying it's, it's okay to use bombs and intimidation and murder to stop people from saying something you disagree with. And that is a fundamentally wrong way of looking at, what, at the world. Yes, it's wrong to pro- deliberately provoke Muslims, However, it's more wrong for them to go and shoot people for deliberately provoking them. What they should do is ridicule the people 
that are deliberately provoking them argue against their points with you know rational and thoughtful points rather than just resorting to violence and and saying that the ancient books of the Quran and the Hadith can justify this level of violence as a response to criticism, um, rational criticism, irrational criticism, whatever. If you can't handle criticism without resorting to violence, then, uh, well, that's where freedom of speech ends, when, when your freedom of speech extends beyond speech into violent actions against other people. That's the line that needs to be drawn. And by your view, you're, you're accepting that blowing people up, um, you're, you're, you're giving in to fear. You're basically letting the terrorists win. That is an argument that I was uh, presented with when I first started talking about this and arguing on Google Plus with someone, a journalist from Germany, about this. And I'm not saying that it's okay to shoot people or set bombs off or do anything like that. Of course not. That is a bad thing and should not. no one should do that. That's what you're saying implicitly, though, by your stance on the whole matter. You're, you're implicitly saying that if you're violent and crazy enough, then I won't do what you object to. Even if it's not funny, whatever, fine. The, the comedic value of the cartoons is, is not what the debate is. You know, It doesn't matter if they were funny, the most hilarious thing ever. The point is that even if you take offense to that, you can't resort to violence. and, and implicitly what you're saying is that if people resort to violence we should capitulate and and that just seems completely wrong and that's why i had to email you i've listened to you for a long time but it really disappointed me when you said it and uh, you know i wanted to point it out <laughs> right well let me try and break it down a bit point by point one of the points you made was it doesn't matter whether it's funny or not and i would wholeheartedly disagree with you on that point i think that crudely drawn unfunny cartoons like that are have no artistic merit and no merit beyond pure trolling. Okay. But the the point about me implicitly um, uh, saying that terrorism uh, is working or whatever, it's not about that. It's about accepting the reality of the world in which we live. And that reality is that you can't go around trolling Muslims without consequences. And you can try and pretend that, oh, well, we've got free speech and they should only um, react in a positive way but through demonstration and peaceful matters like the vast majority of them actually do. But there is a small minority of Muslims who are extremely violent and crazy and whatever you want to say and do things like this. And so... You have to just accept that reality. You can't shut yourself off from it and pretend that that doesn't happen and it is not the world that we're living in. And so you're then faced with a choice. Do you just accept that you probably shouldn't troll Muslims because that might happen? Or do you um, just deliberately inflame the situation and and potentially start a religious war? I think it's not really a valid question. You're offering up two choices which are not really very desirable. The The real question should be, uh, you know, do we accept that there's a small minority of fundamental people who will take things to such an extreme that it's going to shock the, the, shock the nation, they're going to kill people, or 
do we question what is it that makes these people think like that? What is it that makes these people act the way they're acting? Is there any way that we can get through this through dialogue, through understanding and, you know, interfaith, whatever ideas and communities? Yes, there is a simple way, but that simple way is is not going to happen overnight. And I take the point that you're making there that we shouldn't accept it as it is. Um, we shouldn't just say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. There's something very real we can do about it, and that is educate people. Educate every child who lives on this planet about all of the other religions so that, best case scenario, I get the feeling that you're an atheist like I am. Best case scenario, religion goes away. Worst case scenario, religions continue to exist, but people with a greater understanding of those other religions, having been taught it as a child... Uh, and I'm talking past, present, the you know, Greek mythology, Roman gods, Valhalla, all of that sort of stuff, and uh, the, the stuff that went on in the East, and indeed Africa and the Americas, and the world religion throughout history should be taught throughout a child's life, as far as I'm concerned, because that is the only way, through education, that people will become tolerant of other people's religions, and hopefully you will end up with no extremists and you'll end up with, um, you know, in, in this lovey-dovey world where ideally we're all atheists, but I can't see that happening, but at least people will be accepting of other faiths. I agree education is the key. And um, I am still an atheist, possibly agnostic. I do, I do sometimes believe there may be a creator, but not none of the, the gods that are looking down over us. Anyway, I digress. The, the, the point about education being the key to combating extremism is a very valid point, but you you don't seem to understand that, for example, in um, Africa at the moment, you've got Boko Haram, who are uh, kidnapping, slaughtering, murdering, raping their way around the country, converting people to Islam. Um, Boko Haram means literally books are forbidden, and it's interpreted to mean Western education is forbidden. and You've got ISIS as well who are going around condemning everything Western and refusing to teach other religions. Even in the UK, we have madrasas, which are um, Muslim schools. There's a lot of private schools or even some state-funded faith schools where it's, it's taught that the Quran is the, f- the final word of God and any other religion is wrong. Yeah, well... The thing about Tony Blair is that people often talk about his his worst legacy being the Iraq war, and that was clearly a terrible, terrible thing, and the weapons of mass destruction that never materialised, and it, it be it about oil or politics, geopolitics, whatever you want to say, that was a terrible thing that he did. But I would argue that the worst thing and the worst legacy that he left was faith schools, as you touched on there, because shutting off a child from the rest of the world and i'm not sure about this boko haram thing i don't i try not to follow depressing news like that i must admit and try and keep up with just tech news only because that is much less depressing and makes me happier but if that is true and they are shutting off people from learning about other cultures in the world then that is the worst thing that you can possibly do to a human being because that will only breed insular communities that fear and hate each other which in extreme cases lead to things like the charlie hebdo incident and recently what happened in copenhagen as well they were having a meeting 
a freedom of speech debate. It was a, a small, you know, art centre or something. You know, not that many people. A few journalists and um, academics and things, and they're having a debate about freedom of speech. Where there was a French ambassador there. Uh, there's Lars Vilks who produced one of the original um, uh, Danish cartoons that caused the controversy in the Yellens Posten. Um, his cartoon was Mohammed PBUH as a pig, and he was one of the main speakers. He was supposedly the target, although it's not really all come out exactly who was targeted. But it's it's perfectly understandable to assume that this was another Islamist attack against freedom of speech, against, um, an anti-blasphemy attack. If it was Lars Vilks who was the target, then he is equally culpable as the uh, Charlie Hebdo people because, again, if you look, actually look at the cartoons, the supposed cartoons, drawings that he made of Mohammed, they're rubbish. They're absolutely rubbish. They have no artistic merit. They look like a five-year-old has done them. And I, I just, they're not funny. They're not even good. You know, I've seen children's drawings that are better than these. And this is a professional artist who, again, is doing it just to troll people, just to get a reaction. And they've tried to assassinate him a couple of times now. And he's been lucky. You think he deserves to die for, for not being very no. funny. So if no, he did no. it in a more funny way, then you would you would accept his right to live and not be terrorised by people. It's, just, it's simply the fact that his his cartoons don't make you laugh and they offend Muslims. If, if he made you laugh and he offended Muslims, then you'd accept it. Nobody deserves to die. But if you see a crazy man with a gun and you go up and call him names and swear at him and he shoots you, is it really his fault or is it your fault? No, well, this is what um, one of the things I've been thinking about recently. Freedom of speech comes with responsibility. I agreed with you on that point. If everybody ran around, uh, you know, shouting everything they said to every person, they say, you're, you're fat, you've got a huge nose, you know, get that bile chewed off your face or whatever, there would be a lot of violence. It, 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 that's not the point. It's not about deliberately going into people's faces and provoking them. The um, Charlie Hebdo, the Yulens Poster, they, they, they are publications which you have to buy or seek out to read and, and see the cartoon. Oh, come on, don't give me that, that you have to go and buy them. What, you know that if you draw Mohammed and then you publish that, it's going to blow up and people are going to, uh, you know, attention will be attracted to it and people will see it and it will spread way beyond your normal circulation. Do you know why, though? Usually because some well-meaning uh, left-wing do-gooder will point out how offensive it is to Muslims when no Muslim would have even considered reading the publication because they know it might offend them, so they avoid it. So then it will become an issue and, and somebody from the... Muslim community will will see the offending cartoon and then it'll spread and then then there'll be riots in countries five thousand miles away. How can you explain that? Does that happen with any when anyone else gets satirized? It does not. I'll, I'll, you know, it doesn't. Well, I would agree with you that probably it is the, the equally the fault of people who just like to stir it up and want to probably for their own gain draw attention to it and, and be the one who broke the story that, hey, this uh, publication has published a, a picture of Mohammed again, a drawing of Mohammed or whatever. 
So I will agree that there there is blame there as well. But this idea that, um, well, Charlie Hebdo, that they satirized other religions and other things as well. Well, yeah, but if you satirize Christians or Jews or Hindus, then the chances are you're not going to get violent reaction to it. So Exactly. Yeah, but... So that's the whole point. Yeah, but that's my which, whole which point. Which is why it needs, it needs to open up a debate about what, what is it particularly about this uh, wrong ideology, you know, this sky fairy, whether, you know, the other ones you mentioned, they all have infrastructures and they've all gone through a kind of reformation where the, the scriptures have been rewritten and reinterpreted, but um, Islam hasn't gone through that reformation and, and that's what it needs. And, and, and to sit back and accept terrorism as the answer and keep your mouth shut as the answer is it's just a really defeatist and and if you forgive me for saying a weak position to take it 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 shows a an almost cuckold nature which is astounding i just can't understand giving in to terrorists because we need to identify the problem work out how to solve it whether that's through dialogue or through violence, which... Well, so should we go and bomb some people? Is that really going to help? Well... Should we draw some cartoons, inflame some reaction, and then use that as an excuse to go and bomb some brown people somewhere? It's not about colour at all. Um, uh, this is another thing. People like to conflate it as a race thing. Like, if you if you question the fundamental beliefs of, of Islam, then you're somehow a racist. That's another point of contention, which you did kind of... You have implied, and in a couple of things I've listened to you on, you, you have sort of conflated that thing. There's a strange dichotomy between the new atheists and left-wingers and the, what people refer to as the far right, um, because anyone who criticizes Islam can be called a racist, but if you criticize all the other religions, it's slightly more acceptable. And if you also happen to be left of the political spectrum and you criticize the other religions and right-wingers who happen to only criticize Islam, then you score some points. But there, there are very few people like that out there. there you know, most people apologize for, for Islam. Within two days of the Charlie Abdo thing, the Independent was printing the headline, oh, there's a rise in Islamophobia in France. Nobody was saying, why is there a rise in Islamophobia? The, the reason there's a rise in Islamophobia is because there's a huge rise in Islamic terrorism and Islamic immigration. You know, I can't believe that people can't honestly have this debate, and that, that's part of the problem. Of, uh, the media is constrained in certain ways and is not prepared to open up this debate for whatever reason it may be. Well, let me counter that by saying that the media and commentators are generally afraid to open up a, a deeper aspect to this. And that's the, what I usually call the tinfoil hat aspect to it. Now, yeah. <laughs> so where do you stand on that? Uh, where I stand is I'm, I'm not really sure about it. I'm not sure about the whole conspiracy theory thing, but I don't generally watch the news. I, I tend to absorb cultural events uh, via osmosis through Twitter and Google Plus and to a lesser extent Facebook and I tend to know what's going on 
by talking to people and just picking up a vibe. And so I, I'm very detached from the news. And whenever I actually sit down and watch the news at someone's house when they've got a TV, because as everyone who's listening to this, I would hope knows I don't own a television, cha-ching. I genuinely don't watch live TV. So when I do occasionally watch the news, it really strikes me that it is just a propaganda machine and that almost everything that is coming out of that box is lies. And so that makes me wonder, I mean, take the Charlie Hebdo attacks. I saw a video and I mentioned it on this show about, um, well, it's a video that is supposedly in the immediate aftermath of that, where a police officer who happened to be a Muslim police officer was shot point blank range in the head with an AK 47. I know the video. Yeah. Yeah. And people have told me that that is fake because uh, either he the the this terrorist missed or uh it was not real because without wanting to get too gruesome and graphic it, that video did not represent the reality of someone being shot in the head it's much messier than that there's a lot of blood and it was no blood it was just a bit of dust how many uh, real people have you shot in the head or uh, how many times have you seen somebody get shot in the head how do, how do you know that's not a real representation of somebody who's already injured getting a, a second shot to the head, which ricocheted off the pavement. He was wearing a coat. You know, the the blood may have soaked into his coat, and we didn't see the, you know, 10 seconds after that video. The guy shot the gun. The guy's head went back. He was dead. It, I mean... Okay, so what you're saying is that that video wasn't fake, in your opinion. I, I'm, I'm saying it would be... It would be stupid to say it's fake because somebody on the internet told you that's not what being shot in the head looks like. How do we know what being shot in the head looks like? We do, we only see Hollywood films and stuff. We're, how many real... Well, none. So. None of us know what it's like to shoot a a, a man from that range with a, a gun. <laughs> it's it's impossible to know. And, and to look at some grainy footage filmed on a camera phone from a roof... Uh, where, they, where you don't see a blood stain and, and, and say that that conclusively proves that the video was faked by the lizards. It, it just doesn't add up. Right, well, I never said that it did. I said that I found that interesting and that it, it cast a little bit of doubt in my mind, but I hadn't formed a firm opinion either way. It, it seemed like it would warrant further investigation, but you're essentially saying that it doesn't and that the tinfoil hat angle is wrong and this definitely did happen. And it, it's not a put-up job by the powers that be to try and uh, incite race wars then, or, or religious wars. I know you, you, it sounds like you don't like the idea of race being brought into this because we're talking about religion, but for want of a better word, race wars between different religions. Yeah, um, in a less direct way, though, because I, I, I do think there is a plot by the powers that be to foment racial hatred and uh, religious differences through a scheme of mass immigration and forced multiculturalism. It's um, not necessarily a, a Zionist sort of conspiracy where they're forcing people through mind control to perform terrorist attacks. It's a more general cultural thing that's been going on for decades, if not centuries. You know, It goes back a long time. There was organizations set up of Freemasons and I can't remember the names offhand now because, you know, I haven't really, wasn't prepared to get into all this. You kind of blindsided me with the uh, tinfoil hat stuff. 
but there is a good podcaster called Alan Watt. Not Watt. There's an old uh, Zen sort of philosopher, hippie dippy dude called Alan Watts, but I'm talking about Alan Watt with no S. Uh, cutting through the matrix, he does this really good podcast, and um, he goes really into all these details. It gets a bit repetitive after you listen to it for a while, but the Council on Foreign Relations and the Treaty of Rome and all those organizations where they basically have been saying for a long time that they want a, a new world order, a one world government, and this uh, sort of forced multicultural mass immigration to try and make every society just completely integrated and, and multicultural. What's wrong with that, though? What, what's wrong with us being multicultural? I live in London. It's very multicultural here. It's great. You can have any food that you want from all over the world. You can meet people from all over the world and learn about their culture, and it's pretty cool living here. Well, it's expensive, but well, other than that, the, you know, there's, it, I don't think it's as harmonious as, as you think, um, given that now white English people. I don't want to bring race into it, as we said, but I think it is a salient point that 49% of people in London are now white English. That means you are a minority in your own city and a shrinking minority. It matters because eventually your culture will be overtaken. Right. What kind of maths is that to say that if 49% of people who live here a white English, I'm a minority. I'm still a massive majority because all of the other types of people, uh, 2% here, 3% there, 5% there. So I'm not a minority. That's just, you know, a failure of maths to say that. Okay, no, I can say that point. It's, uh, I'm, I'm making the same mistake and I'm conflating all non-white people into one uh, homogenous race. But I think the point still stands that you don't see that in... China, Indonesia. That's why our country's better than them, because we've got everyone here. That, that's why everyone wants to come here, and that's why we've got so much immigration, because this country's brilliant. But the more strained our resources become and the more swamped we become with extra burdens on society, whether they be from white European countries or further afield, you know, we, our, our system is aging the nhs our school system every, everything is is aging we've not had a lot of money to throw around right and that's why we need new blood and in my experience of immigration of immigrants in london i don't know how it is in the rest of the country but in london generally speaking the immigrants come here and they work really hard and within a couple of generations they've got really good jobs like doctors lawyers teachers dentists things that we need and uh, th there's a huge influx of people from Eastern Europe who have, without them, the, the construction industry wouldn't be booming. You wouldn't walk down every street in London and see scaffolding and skips. So I would argue that immigration is a good thing because there might be a few bad eggs that come and want to claim benefits. But don't believe the UKIP propaganda that they're all here to freeload. There are clearly going to be people here who are freeloading. But at the same time, most people who are willing to leave the country where that they call home, where they all the people they know, they're not going to come here just for a laugh, are they? They've come here because the the opportunity to work is here. You're misquoting me. I'm I'm not saying that they are all coming to freeload. And another ironic thing is that actually, with UKIP, there would be more black and ethnic immigration because they would close the borders to Europe, which is. Well, I don't know exactly how much, but 
a good 70% white or whatever, 80, 90%. You know, can we agree that Europe is a generally white area? The EU is a majority white um, yeah, I, nation. I think, I think so, yeah. So that means that at the moment, the, the borders are open to 485 million Europeans, um, the vast majority of whom are white. Yeah. And if UKIP were to get in, what they would do would be to close the borders to those unskilled 485 million people who can come in, whether or not they have a job, whether or not they've uh, got a criminal record, whatever. They, you know, they're just completely free to move. They would close that and open up a more sort of Australian-style system where people have to apply if we need doctors. You know, whatever colour you're from, whatever country you're from, whatever colour you are, you can just come and work and provide something. And That is massively short-sighted, though, to say that you have to be skilled before you get here. What about people who come here and work on a building site for 30 or 40 quid a day and work really hard all their life and bring up kids and encourage them to do well at school? And then in a generation or so, you've got people who have got the skills that we need. I think Australia is just short-sighted in, in that uh, belief. And I, if UKIP got in, then I would probably leave this country because I don't want to live in a country that votes UKIP in. It's bad enough that, there are, that UKIP even exists, as far as I'm concerned. Because it sounds to me that you are pretty anti-European, whereas I am very pro-European. Europe's been good to me so far in my life. And I think that... what kind of world do we live in where we have these artificial lines drawn on it where people can't just move around freely i mean that's just ridiculous we are all human beings we're all on this planet and whoever wants to go wherever they want to go that should be just obvious yeah i agree of course if if you can pay your own way and you're not a convicted murderer you should be able to go wherever you want if you're going to go and then ask another country for help we need certain guarantees that you are going to contribute to society. You can't just go around taking everything. And, and a lot of immigration is good. Like you say, we've got a lot of nice food and uh, Notting Hill Carnival. Um, we have uh, in my area, it's a Jewish area of Manchester. There's, you know, it gets very vibrant around Hanukkah and other Jewish festivals. It's, it is, it, you know, it, there is a, a benefit to multiculturalism. But you have to draw the line somewhere. When the minorities become the majority, then surely something's a little bit wrong. I'm not saying that colour matters, it's culture. And when you have a culture being eroded, even through political means, it is the definition of genocide, is killing a culture through whatever means, killing off a whole people. And that's how it feels. I believe you live in a nice area of London and, you know, London's quite an affluent city and you probably live in one of the most affluent areas and you, the people that you'll work for uh, will all be, you know, nice middle-class people. You don't know what it's like to live in places like Rotherham and Doncaster and certain areas of Manchester and where there's... Forgive me for saying it, but groups of Pakistani Islamic men systematically raping children, using the taxi service as a means to facilitate it, 
and completely getting away with it because of liberal left-wing politicians not wanting to sound racist. I, I think that's more important, to be honest. Fair enough. Well, we're not going to agree about any of this, I don't think. I think we're coming at this from very different points of view, but it's been good to have you on and to hear that point of view anyway. And um, yeah, maybe we'll see what how people react to this, but maybe I'll have you on again sometime. Well, I don't want to come across as a one-trick pony. There's plenty of things that I'll be willing to you know, go to toe and still agree to disagree at the end and hopefully you know, open a few people's minds at the same time for both sides, whichever side we may fall on yeah well have you got anything you want to plug a twitter or anything yeah well drunken mcwhiskey is my twitter it's you know a little bit controversial i do say some anti-islamist things and i do sometimes promote ukip or whatever but you know i am who i am and that's uh you can take it or leave it but hopefully if you disagree with me you know, come and speak to me. Don't swear at me. Don't shout at me. But we'll chat about it. We'll work it out. And um, maybe I'll, we'll agree to disagree. But maybe one of us will change the other one's mind. <laughs> Seems unlikely. But well, anyway, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, thanks for joining me and hopefully speak to you soon then. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. So as you can hear from that interview... We have very different worldviews. We agreed on a couple of very small points, but <laughs> Donald has got a very different worldview from me. So I don't know. Maybe that's interesting to listen to. Hopefully it is. And um, uh, should I have him on again? Should, should I tell him to get a decent microphone? Because that's the thing. He was using a headset mic, so it didn't sound great. Uh, not, not even a USB headset, like a, a phone headset thing. And he was using Skype on his phone, so it didn't sound great. But hopefully the... Um, the debate was worth it. So yeah, I'd, thinking about maybe he, he seems quite keen. So uh, yeah, what do you think? But I had a little bit of feedback actually in the last few days since I did the last one. So I'll get on with that. The first one was from Nicholas Garcia. He says, hi Joe, greetings from Chile, which is amazing. I didn't realize people would listen to me from that far away. And he says, first of all, thank you. I just got a Sony Xperia C3 and had the exact same problem with the music player you described. After listening to this episode, I went ahead and downloaded Google Play Music. My phone didn't come with it pre-installed, and now it works. So I guess you can be proud that your podcast helped at least one person. Now, that's amazing. I thought that no one else had ever had that problem because I've looked extensively on Google, and it's a very difficult thing to search for because not many people would even know how to describe it. Music playback pauses randomly when not using Google Play music. So at least, yeah, help someone. That's great. Uh, and he says, regarding your negativity, I never really took it as you being negative. You just know what you like and what you don't like. I mean, sometimes you can be very critical of an OS or piece of software, but you usually clarify that some people might like it, and I think that's okay. I hope you keep doing the show for a while. I really like it. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Nicholas. Jay Plows or Jay Plews, I think Plows, said, Aop, I don't think you're being too negative, simply focused on negativity. And I, for one, agree with your interpretation so far. Which is a strange way of looking at it, really. I'm not negative, I'm just focused on negativity. That's a bit of a philosophical point there, I think. And Lee sent me quite a long email. I'll read a bit of that. 
He kind of numbered the points, which makes it quite easy. Number one, one acquires a product to perform a function. If said product performs satisfactorily, then that's the very minimum we should expect. Should we not highlight its deficiencies if it fails to meet even the basic requirements? Well, yes, and I <laughs> like to do that a lot. Number two, with regard to getting paid for your art, this is more likely if you have some personality traits rather than being bland. I, mean, I don't know about that. If you listen to most of the kind of DJs and presenters on the radio, they are very, very bland. He says, if being cynical sets you apart from the crowd, then surely that would be to your advantage. Don't be a yes man. Well, maybe. But I think that if you are bland and safe, you're more likely to get higher. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. Maybe like the shock jocks in America and stuff. But I think in the UK... You've got to be, you've got to toe the line and stuff. So, I don't know. Number three, do listeners not think that the strapline, the show where we try all the latest free and open source software and then decide that we like the old stuff better, could be a hint? Mm, yeah, I <laughs> think, good point. Number four, if you cultivate an aura of cynicism, then it's possible that when you say something positive, people may sit up and take more notice. Yeah, hopefully. Number five, perhaps there's a case of being more critical and not less. You're enthused about Bombono, but a listener on Luddites had a different mileage, as did I with XFCE, having heard your thoughts on it. You can't win. Yeah, that's true. I was a bit positive, a bit too positive about Bombono. It does the job, but it's um, a bit clunky and hard to use. It's a DVD authoring piece of software that I use fairly often, well, now and again. And uh, it works for me, but... It's, Someone said that they tried and it didn't work. Who uses DVDs anymore anyway? Lee continues with, as far as diversity goes, I agree with your listener regarding bikers. Diversity and equality issues are a slippery slope to positive discrimination for the sake of it. The operative word here is discrimination, and that can only result in a suboptimal outcome for everybody. Yes, I agree with that. You shouldn't really discriminate even positive. I mean, positive discrimination is such Orwellian doublespeak anyway. I revisited Luddites 34 in its entirety, and also 35, and didn't hear a single obviously. Obviously, they're few and far between. Ah, uh, well, I already knew about it by the time that we did 34 and 35, I think. And so I deliberately didn't say it or edited them out when I did say it. So that'll be why. Although I think I have curbed my use of it in general life as well. I think I've forced myself. And now I find myself saying clearly a lot because it's just synonymous, really, and it's no better, is it, to say that? And he finishes up with, I enjoy country music as much as the next man, but your theme is far too upbeat. Although, thinking about it, country music is nothing of the sort, is it? I don't really understand. Oh, I think I get it. He doesn't like my rockin' theme tune that I put together very quickly, and my friend played quite badly on. Well, not badly, but quickly. The whole thing was a bit of a... Rush. When I decided to do this show, I just thought, oh, I need some music. Oh, right, I'm kind of working on that. That'll do. Maybe I'll finish that song at some point. Oh, and he also says, a very educational snippet on the Makerspace, by the way. Nice. And yet another perishing podcast to look out for. <laughs> and he says, this could be your USP, the first car-based podcast. I don't know. I just don't think it sounds that good when I do it in the car. It's okay sometimes, and maybe even most of the time. I'm hoping that in the summer when it's nice and hot, there's kind of like a parky area near where I live where I, I don't know if the traffic will be too loud, maybe, but um, it'd be nice to be able to do it outside with a portable recorder, which is battery-based. So I, I think, I don't know, I don't really want to do it in the car all the time, especially when it's cold and stuff. 
And the last bit of feedback is from Anonymous Coward. <laughs> Anonymous Coward, he certainly is, or she certainly is. Congratulations on the editing, as I couldn't tell your cohort was drunk on Luddites. He did waffle on a bit at one point, I suppose. As an aside, do you think Britain has an alcohol problem? It shouldn't be seen as normal that someone just gets drunk for fun on a Saturday morning slash afternoon, especially when they have other responsibilities. Yet this is not seen as weird by anyone in their 20s and 30s. The thought being that it's just a laugh, innit? In other countries, I think it would actually be quite shocking. They'd think, what is wrong with so-and-so that he gets hammered on a Saturday daytime? There's nothing to be done, of course. It's an ingrained cultural norm that has been around for generations. Is it good or bad? Who knows? Maybe Jesse will think twice before doing it again. Maybe not. Would you kick him off the show if it became a regular occurrence? Well, it won't become a regular occurrence, I don't think. It's not something that he does regularly. It just happened to be that his friend came down from Scotland, and I'm not saying anything about Scottish people drinking a lot because I drink loads, but it just so happens that the friend from Scotland lives up to the stereotype and drinks a lot, and they just got drunk together. And so I can't see it happening again. I hope it won't happen again. And I don't know what I would do if it did happen again. Because we do usually, on the Friday night at least, have a bit of a drink. And, you know, it's, it's just like being around the pub. But it's, it's like going to the pub really drunk or, or sober and everyone else is really drunk if you go later on. If you're not on the same level of drunkness, then it just is a bit horrible, really. If I'd been as hammered as he was, maybe it would have been all right. But I don't know. It's suffice to say, I don't think it's going to happen again. And I don't know what I would do if we did. And do I think Britain has an alcohol problem? Well, yeah, obviously. Ha ha, there, I said it. We, we do have an alcohol problem in this country. Pub culture is so ingrained in us and just drinking culture. I know a lot of people who drink every day. And I, my job means that I go to a lot of people's houses and I see the, the empty wine glasses and, you know, empty wine bottles and stuff. And I see that, um, well, I, I did a job in a house recently where they didn't have any booze at all. And uh, except for at one point they had like one bottle of something that where it cleared out an old cupboard or something. And that seemed really weird to me that these people didn't drink. So yes, the UK it drinks too much. People in the UK do drink far, far too much, especially compared to people on the continent. I'm not sure about America. I think maybe they drink quite a lot as well. I think in certain areas, but yeah, we do drink too much, but what are you going to do? It's our national pastime. (laughs) So I'm not going to be stopping anytime soon. Well, you never know. I might stop at some point, but (laughs) it seems unlikely. Anyway, that's it for this one. Then if you want to get in touch, joerestpodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on the website. With these two being so close together, it might be a little while before I do another one because I've got quite a lot coming up. The meet-up in the pub, the Mulberry Bush, on Thursday the 26th, so only in a few days now. Um, That's going to be... I talked about it before, but if you are now listening to this and it's in a couple of days and you're in London, come along. It should be good fun. It's going to be Scott from Mintcast, me, Jesse, Matt Copperweight, um, Alan Pope, Popey, and some other people, some listeners and stuff have said they'll come. So it should be pretty cool. We've got a little booth in the pub there booked and they do food and it's quite a nice pub. Uh, it's about sort of 10 minutes walk from Waterloo station, I'd say on the South bank. So do come to that. But yeah, because of that, 
I, and also I've got some other stuff to do this week. I think that mm, it, it's going to be a while. Then I've got a Linux loadouts to do. So yeah, you got two. It's like buses. You get two and then wait ages or something. But until then, see you later.